Good morning, guys. How are y'all this morning? Good. It's been a while since I've been here. The uh, Cornerstone is like my home away from home. And uh, if you've been here for any length of time, I've been here before to speak. It's been a few years, uh, but it is good to be home. Every time that I come back, it, even though I've never lived in Gadsden and I've never attended here as my church home, every time that I come back, it feels like coming back to a family reunion, though. And so that's a, that's a compliment to you guys, probably the greatest compliment that I could give you. Uh, whenever I come, it just feels like home to me. And, and I've, I've had the privilege of getting to, to meet several of you guys in years past, and so it's good to see some familiar faces, and then good to see such a, a ton of new faces as well. As a, one of the things I love to do every time that I come is just walk around the building and see all the changes and things that are going on. And, and as I walked around upstairs and I saw some of the renovations and uh, the last time I was here, the bathrooms down here were just being completed, renovated. So that kind of gives you a timeline if you've been here that long. And so just to see life exploding through this church uh, has already blessed me this morning. And so it's, it's really great to be here. I hope you guys are, are excited as I am to be here. And, and hopefully as we go through, and, and Dan said as he's been going through this a relationship study. Uh, we're going to talk mostly about that today, but even if in your marriage things are going great, or maybe you find yourself here this morning, you're not married. Maybe, maybe you're younger and you haven't been married yet. Maybe you're older and you've never been married, or maybe you've been married in the past and you're not anymore. Whatever the situation you find yourself in, I think that there'll be something that the Holy Spirit will speak to you through today. So let's go to him in prayer and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for the privilege it is to come and to speak your word. Lord, I, I pray, God, that you remove me from this situation. Lord, take me out of the way. Make me not be a distraction to anybody. But God, may they be pointed straight to you and hear whatever it is that you have for them this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There'll be various scriptures that will be on the screen, obviously, for you to follow, and, and we're going to kind of hop around, so I encourage you to take notes. Uh, if you uh, are using the Bible app, as Dan talked about, or if you have a, a bulletin and you like to physically write, I'd encourage you, I left you some space there uh, to take notes as we go through. And, uh, but just for a moment, I, I'm going to be sharing part of my story with you this morning, and, and I have a, a question that I need to ask you first, and it's something that is very difficult for me. In fact, I was telling my family, this is probably about the second or third most difficult sermon that I've ever given. Uh, and if you've ever spoken in front of people before, you'll kind of understand probably. And so I would need to ask your permission, is it okay if I'm just broken this morning? Is that okay? And that's something that's very difficult for me to do. I, I have a lot of... Uh, uh, self-confidence and and I enjoy you know being up in front of people and to take on new tasks and challenging things really excite me and so it's hard for me to show weakness it's hard for me to show brokenness but as you're coming here listening to me today there's nothing special about me I'm a broken sinful individual in need of God's grace the same as everybody that's in this room and so if you're broken as well I want to encourage you to be broken with me this morning. And, and I wish I could come and give you like a, a very exciting and upbeat message and, and we all leave here like skipping and dancing and, and clapping our hands as we leave, but it's going to be a little bit heavy. And, and at least it will be heavy for me. It may not be for you guys, but, but I hope that we can be broken together. And if you're in here today and you're not broken, please come see me after we get done so you can tell me, 
like what the secret is. <laughs> um, it's, I'm joking because all of us are broken. All of us are in need of God's grace. So Dan gave me a, a little bit of an introduction and, and told you some of the things. The, uh, as he said, I first met him as I was planting a church. So you guys planted uh, almost eight years ago. I was talking to Dan about that this morning. And uh, in February, I think he said, you celebrate your official like eight-year anniversary. Well, I planted a church in Huntsville about a year, a year and a half or so after you guys planted here. And that's where I first met Dan as we were going through that process together with the state and, and began helping plant other uh, churches around. I met Dan and, and his wife, Erin. As he was saying Aaron a minute ago, I realized it was probably confusing to begin with if you didn't know what my name was. E-R-I-N versus A-A-Ron, right? The, uh, but uh, that's where I first got to meet them and, and just became such good friends of mine and, and he was overly gracious in the, in the introduction as he always is. Um, but that's where I first met him. I was pastor of a church. I, I, I began life in my adult life as an engineer uh, with the army in Huntsville and that's still what I do for, for my day job. Uh, and then, uh, as he mentioned, I started a nonprofit counseling center in Huntsville as well. As I just saw marriages around me that were hurting and families that were hurting, do all types of, of counseling, uh, individual and ma- marriage and family, and and I wanted to to help. And I didn't know what to do, so I went back to school, get my counseling degree, and and started and, and began uh, began doing that. And uh, and as part of that, I would go around and do marriage retreats for churches or for organizations. And and uh, I did a marriage retreat for this church a few years ago. And uh, and so Dan and I, through that whole process over the years, just kind of our friendship got deeper and deeper and deeper. And and Dan's one of my best friends. And just as he said, he calls me like that's. That's the guy that I reach out to, and, and I've always said if I live just a little bit closer, like, this would be my, my church home, and so, again, just thank you for welcoming me. So, I want to start and, and, and share part of my story with you, uh, not just what I did, as I, as I just said, I see your notes up here, <laughs> um, the, uh, but I want to tell you a little bit about my, my personal life as well, and so, I graduated uh, high school in, in South Alabama. And uh, when I, I was 17, when I graduated, moved to Huntsville to go to school at UAH, and and I uh, got married about six months or so after I graduated high school. Married my high school sweetheart that we started dating uh, in the 10th grade, and um, I was 18, moved away from home, and so I thought like that, that's the best thing to do is get married right away, right, at 18. And uh, you can imagine, um, if you can remember back what it was like at 18, like the number of mistakes that I made the number of challenges that we faced in the beginning. Uh, but I always, uh, I, I was raised in the church, I always had a deep faith in God, and, and uh, you know, the, the church was always my family and where I turned to, and so I thought everything will be okay. And so we went through, through life and, and uh, graduated from college, and, and I had kids right after college. Uh, I have three kids. They are uh, now 19, 17, and 15. Uh, so we just had them like every two years, back to back to back. And so here, about six, seven years into marriage, I'm now 25. I have three kids and, uh, and have graduated college and have started my career, all of those things. So I, I only tell you all of this because I want you to, to get that picture, okay? And just imagine the different things that you can that are going on as you think about your own life and the, the own struggles that you've had, the different struggles and things maybe that occurred, well, about 10 years into our relationship, went through some very difficult times and, and reached out into counseling and, 
and, uh, and went through some various things and then uh, continued on all the way up to being married almost 20 years. And right before my 20-year anniversary, we got divorced. That's something that I haven't shared with you before. Uh, in fact, it's occurred since the last time that I was here. Now, picture that for just a second. Here you have a marriage counselor, a supposed relationship expert, right? Been to school for years and years and years to study. They got divorced. Think about what that is like for a pastor. Exactly. As quiet as it was in this room, that's how hard it was. A divorce is hard no matter what. It's terrible. Nothing good ever comes from divorce. It's all a mess, no matter how nice it is, if I can use that word. But, you know, I want to I share with you some of the responses that I got from that. So, you know, for different people that I knew at work, maybe that aren't saved or, you know, the church is not a big part of their life, it wasn't a big deal to them when I shared with them. But for those that were close to me, It devastated them as much as it did me. And that was a burden that is heavy. To think about that your actions or your failures can hurt somebody else so much. And as a result, those responses, some of the worst responses I ever got came from those that were the closest to me in the church. They were the, the harshest or the ugliest because when you hear of a pastor that gets divorced, all kinds of things get said. I didn't really share with anybody any of the reasons or anything. I just kept it quiet. I thought that that was the best approach because there's no benefit in, in talking about those type things. And so people made up their own stories. They said horrible things about me. Some of them I deserved. Most of them I didn't. But I don't really want to focus on that too much. I want to focus on the other response that I got from the church. One that was so loving and caring. I've never shared this part with Dan before, but one of the phone calls that I dreaded the most is when I called Dan. And I'll never forget that phone call, Dan, for the rest of my life. I sat probably for 30 minutes just praying and, and dreading and not trying to make up reasons why I didn't need to call him or, you know, what I was going to say. I had no idea. It, it, this is the irony. Just I can laugh about it now if you'll laugh with me just to cut the tension a little bit. The, uh, whenever I, I called him, we were in the middle of planning another marriage retreat that I was going to come and lead. And so that was how I started the phone call whenever I called him. He said, hey, man, what's up, bro? You know how he, that's, that's my, my Dan impression. The, uh, what's going on, I think. That's what he says that a lot too. And I said, man, I, I don't think I can do the marriage retreat. And it was still a few months away. He was like, man, what, 
tell me, what's going on, why? And I shared with him, and that's the first time that I had reached out to him. You know, he talked about him reaching out. That was something that I didn't do. And I look, look back now and I think, how, how stupid was I in that? I didn't, I didn't reach out for help to anybody. My pride and my, my arrogance kept me from talking to somebody that might could have helped, might could have impacted me. So I called him and that was his first thing. You know, you ever have those friends, you call them and, and they love you, but they're going to give you a kick when you need it to? Like that's the friends that we all need. And uh, we don't always like them, but, you know, we love them all the time. And, you know, Dan is one of those guys. I can call him, and, and I don't want somebody that's always going to agree with me, or I don't want somebody that's always going to tell me what I want to hear. I want somebody that's going to tell me the truth, that loves me enough to tell me the truth. And, and Dan's one of those guys, and so he's like, man, why didn't you call me? It was just reaction. And I said, dude, like, you know how it is. It's hard. He's like, yeah, I don't care, but you should have called me. And so he talked with me through, and, and I can't tell you what that phone call meant to me and still means to me to this day, because I was terrified I was about to lose my friend, because that was a response that I got from a lot of people. They didn't want to be associated with me anymore, not because of anything that I did, but a lot of times people don't want that drama in their life, right? They got their own drama and so they just distance themselves. And some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about because you've experienced it. And so, you know, you walk around and people that would normally come to you might kind of treat you like a pariah a little bit. And, and a lot of it is they don't know what to say. Like what, do you, what do you say to somebody? And let me tell you that, just this is a side note, okay, in your margin over here. Nothing. You don't have to say anything. Just be there with them. Sit with them. Love on them. Encourage them. That's what they need. And Dan was exactly that. I had a couple other pastor friends that I reached out to afterwards, and, and every single one of them just wrapped their arms around me and loved me and cared for me. And so I want to share with you kind of from that point to now if that's okay this morning. And the first passage we're going to look at is, is it comes from the Song of Solomon. If you've never read through the Song of Solomon, and I encourage you to, it's a, it's a very, um, it's focused on, on relationship, but it's a very steamy back and forth between a husband and a wife, between a bride and a bridegroom. And we see before they're married, and we see after they're married, and their their love letters back and forth as they're talking about the one that they love. And and I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and uh, and we were talking about the sermon. He mentioned this passage to me that I want to read, and and see if you can relate in in your marriage or in your relationships. It says, "One night, as I lay in bed, I yearned for my lover. I yearned for him, but he did not come." So I said to myself, I will get up and roam the city, searching in all its streets and squares. I will search for the one I love. So I searched everywhere but did not find him. That's the Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It, it says that there's this picture of this lady that's looking for uh, her husband. And, and scholars debate whether at this point in the Song of Solomon they're married or they're not married. So she's lying in bed. And she's looking 
uh, for somebody laying next to her and there's nobody there. And so most people will say well, this is at the point that they're not married because he's not there. But the point that I want to kind of draw out is when she went to search, she said, I searched everywhere, but I couldn't find them. You know, you hear people say a lot of times that, that uh, communication is, is one of the most difficult things. It's one of the, the toughest struggles that we have in relationship is how to communicate with another. And do you ever feel like that? Where you and your spouse, you, it's like you're searching for them with everything. And you can't find them. They might be sitting right next to you this morning. But emotionally, you're miles and miles apart. That's how I felt. That you could search and try with everything, but still not find what it is that you're trying to resolve. Or what it is that you're trying um, to solve or to correct. I've had a lot of time to think back through and, and, and uh, ask myself, like, what could I have done differently? And my prayer is always with, with everything that I go through in life, that, that God uses the mistakes that I make to help other people not make the same mistakes. Anybody relate to that? If you got kids, you better relate to that. <laughs> like, um, that's, a, that's a major philosophical point in my parenting is to try to help my kids not make the same mistakes that I made because then I don't want them to feel the same pains that I felt. But I've had a lot of time to go back through and think about, like, why? How is this possible? Because literally for my entire life, for my entire life, I never wanted to be divorced. Everybody in my family is divorced. It's an it's a epidemic in my family. I literally have nobody that I can point to that has a great marriage. And I wanted something different for myself. I wanted something different for my kids to be able to pass on to them. And, and right from 18, even though I was young, dumb, it was my passion to never be at that point. So I did everything that I knew to do to never get to that point. You know, including all the schooling that I had. That was to help myself more than it was to help somebody else. So how is it possible? And I'm going to share with you what I think was a major impact into my life. And maybe it will relate to somebody that's here as well. If you're following along in your notes, I'll go through these fairly quickly, but we do have a lot that I want to cover, and so I'm going to go quickly and slowly at the same time. Sounds like a pastor statement, right? Especially when you're preaching. We're we going to get through this quickly and an hour later, like you're still there waiting on lunch to occur. So that's the benefit. You got to come into first service. Like we got to get done because second service will walk in the door eventually, right? All right. The first point is how you start doesn't necessarily indicate how you finish, but it does greatly affect it. And, and again, I said, some of you maybe are in this room and, and uh, you know, if you're, if you're single and you go to church and they're doing a marriage study, it's like, oh man, I've got to sit through another one of these. Like, I get that. All right. This can speak to you no matter where you are. It, it could be a struggle that you have in your life. And no matter where you start attacking that struggle doesn't necessarily indicate how you're going to finish. But it does greatly affect it. And one of the things that greatly impacted my marriage was all of the mistakes that we made whenever I got married at 18. 
Now, everybody that gets married makes a ton of mistakes. The, the question that I always ask my premarital couples when they come in for counseling, for premarital counseling, and they say they want to get married, can anybody guess the question that I ask them first? Why do you want to get married? And it, you may not could have guessed that question, but everybody knows the answer that I get, right? Because we, you've been there before, I got it. Because we love each other. And here's what I ask them. I've always asked them this question. So did everybody else that sat in those same seats that you're sitting in that are now divorced. What makes you any different? Everybody that gets married loves each other. I'll say presumably. (laughs) Nobody intends to ever be there. But how you start in the beginning can greatly impact that. And so, you know, you can imagine different hurts that occurred, just the back and forth as you're learning each other. In my story, at 18, you're still learning yourself. You don't know who you are. Your personality is still developing and, and still formulating. And you make tons and tons of errors and mistakes. And, you know... I was involved in church and got more and more so as I had kids later but by that time like I said I was seven eight years into marriage and those mistakes that were made early nothing nothing major could be small things little things like how you talk to each other you know those little snippy remarks sometimes that you make okay you guys do me a favor I I don't want to see any elbows bumping the person next to you okay as I'm talking just just go like, dear, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> you, know what, you know what I mean, right? They kind of get on your nerves, and you make one of those little zingers. It makes you like, man, that was a good one. But then instantly, doesn't feel as good, does it? And those happen all the time in relationships. You say things, you do things, you hurt each other's feelings. You step on each other's toes, you get on each other's nerves, and you recover and you move on, right? Those things don't ever quite go away, do they? You know how I know? Because the next time they hurt just a little bit more. The next time your spouse says something to you or does something that you've talked about before, it's not like the first time, is it? It stings a little bit more, hurts a little bit more continues on and you begin formulating now an opinion about them in your mind why they are doing what they're doing and that's where we make our mistake because we assign motive to somebody and most of the time when we tell somebody what their motive is or we form that opinion in our minds we're wrong well they're doing this because whatever It's on purpose. Like, they know. We've talked about this before. I've asked them not to say those things, but they continue to do it. I've asked them not to do this, but they continue to do it. They're doing it now on purpose. And and you can go through life like that and, and it not seemingly on the surface be causing that much of an impact. But over time, it will. And, and I'll tell you that you guys are all here this morning in church, and so you're uh, presumably at least trying to do what God wants you to do and trying to live a life the way he would want you to live, but maybe your relationship didn't start that way. 
Maybe at some point during your marriage you decided like, hey, we need to get back in church. Maybe you're like me and it's when you had kids and you realize like, I'm, I'm not prepared. And, and I know I need to raise my kids in church and, and share with them about God and who he is. And so you, maybe that was the motivation that you had to get back into church. Well, I want to tell you that all of those things, whether you were in church or not in church, that are the, the small hurtful things, the mistakes that you made when you got married that you didn't know until after you got married. They take root. And if you're not very, very diligent to make sure that you go back and address all of those things, after a while they'll eat you from the inside out. And they have the potential to destroy things. Dan perfectly said just a minute ago, you know, we have an enemy and sometimes just because we face struggles doesn't mean we're doing something wrong. In fact, most of the time, the harder the struggle, the more right that we're doing because we have an enemy that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy what God has created. I want to read another passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 16 through 19, it says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this message, wonderful message of reconciliation. You know, God is a God that desires to reconcile us to himself. He went through great lengths to make sure that we could be where he is. He wants us also to be in unity with one another. Paul talks more in the New Testament about, uh, besides about Christ, about unity in the home, in the church, with us as Christians. All right, we got to get moving. So, point number two. You know, maybe you're here finding yourself this morning, and you can relate to some part of my story that I've told you so far, and and you're waiting on the me to tell you what the the next thing to do is. Right? I wish that I could come in here and go, "Hey, guys, this is this is what you need to do." Not to repeat all the same mistakes and go through all the hardships that I've been through. If I could do that, I would gladly do that in a heartbeat. I would give it to the world for free. That kind of advice doesn't exist. It's not that simple. It's complex, isn't it? But here is something that is extremely simple that we all can do. When in doubt, when you don't know what to do, you have no idea what to do next, go do the next right thing. So it doesn't matter where you are this morning. It doesn't matter if the struggle that you're thinking about and that the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind is in your marriage. It doesn't matter if it's a personal struggle that you're dealing with. It doesn't matter what it is. This works for everything. Do the next right thing. It doesn't matter whether it's you that have done the wrong. Maybe it's a sinful act on your part. Maybe it is you that has been wronged and somebody else has done something wrong against you. It doesn't matter. Do the next right thing. 
And, and you may ask, because I get asked this question a lot, what's the next right thing? It's the first thing that God brought to your mind whenever I said that a second ago. Because as you were thinking about whatever the Holy Spirit's been working on you with, in your mind, and I said, do the next right thing, something instantly came to mind of that, that's the only thing that I know to do. Exactly. Go do that. Then what? That's a question. You guys tell me. Then what? Do the next right thing. And if you do that, you can never go wrong. Does that mean that everything will work out fine? No, it doesn't. I wish I could give you that guarantee, but it doesn't. But that is all that you can do. You don't control whether somebody forgives you. You don't control whether or not it makes everything okay if you ask for forgiveness. You don't control whether your spouse forgets whatever little hurt or big hurt or whatever it is that you did or didn't do. You don't control whether they ask you for forgiveness. But you do control what you do. Whatever the next right thing is, go do that. Paul tells us in, in Galatians chapter 2 very clearly that my old self has been put away. That I'm a new creation in Christ. It's not me anymore that I live for, but yet it's Christ. That is what it is to go do the next right thing. To set aside, well, what about me? See, sin always starts with that question. What about me? It's a selfish question. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, what was the temptation? God's holding out on you. What about you? You deserve more than this. You deserve better than this. You deserve something this. It's all selfish in nature, but the Bible tells us that we shouldn't no longer think of ourselves as high, but think of others as more important than we are. That we are to crucify our old self and to focus on Christ that lives in me. And what is it that Christ would have in my actions, in my responsibilities, and how I respond? Jeremiah chapter 8 verses 4 and 5 says, uh, this is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. Jeremiah say to the people, this is what the Lord says. When people fall down, don't they get up again? When they discover they're on the wrong road, don't they turn back? Then why do these people stay on their self-destructive path? Why do the people of Jerusalem refuse to turn back? They cling tightly to their lies and will not turn around. What is, what is he talking about here? What's the context? Well, he's saying, don't, if you fall down, do you stay down? Or do you stand back up? He said, well, of course, you get back up, right? But sometimes we keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting something different. People have offered that that's a definition of, see, you guys know, right? We know that, but how many times do we do the same things? Let me put that in context in our relationships as we're talking how many times do you have an argument, same argument, different argument, let's say, but the way you resolve it is the same? Maybe you never really resolve it. What does that mean in context of relationship to resolve a disagreement or a discussion? It, this is how I define it. It means I give up my right to ever bring that up again. It's resolved. It no longer bothers me. It, 
I want everybody remember back to when you're like in the third grade, okay? Do you remember any hurt that ever occurred in the third grade? Like I can think back and, you know, being pushed down the playground or, you know, somebody took my milk money or something or, you know, somebody stole my favorite pencil that I got at the book fair. You guys remember those when you used to have those in school? You go in with your dollar and buy all the useless garbage. And then you find out somebody else took that rainbow eraser that I bought and now it's on their pencil. I, we can talk about those. They don't affect us anymore, right? They're resolved. There's no hurt that is still there. But how often in relationships can you think back to an argument that you think is resolved, but it still hurts? That means it ain't resolved. There's still more that we need to discuss. And the mistake that I made is thinking, oh, I can get over this. It's not that big a deal. Oh, she can get over this. It's not that big a deal. Like, same thing, both sides. It's never talked about, never resolved. And it festers and eats away. Maybe that thing, as I said, is, is something that is a, a repetitive sin in your life that God's been dealing with you on. Maybe it's not something that's habitual. Maybe it is something just one time that you did, maybe even a long time ago. But it still haunts you to this day. Maybe it's not a sin at all. Maybe it's not even of your own choices. Maybe it's something that was done against you. Perhaps the results of the choices of another person. Sometimes what keeps us from really resolving things and moving past in our life is the trust that we have in God. In Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. We don't fully believe. And I told you when I started this morning that I wanted to be vulnerable with you today. And that's extremely hard for me to do. But what I have learned about love is the only way for me to really feel love is to be vulnerable. Because I've given you the power to hurt me. That's what being vulnerable means. Your responses, your reactions, I've given you that power, could hurt me. But the only way that I know that somebody loves or cares about me is if I'm vulnerable. I give them that power to hurt me, and they don't. That I trust that God will be working in them the same way that he's working in me. Third point, God is a God of redemption. We see this in Scripture so, so much. It's no wonder the psalmist in Psalm 107 and in many, many places says over and over how faithful God's love is, that the love of the Lord endures forever and ever. How do you see yourself? If I could give you homework, write this down if you're writing it down to do, is to go home and look in the mirror. Just look at yourself, eye to eye. It's really, really hard to lie to yourself when you're looking at yourself. Can you relate to that? Uh, you can see yourself fully when you look at yourself. What is it that you see? You know, most of us define ourselves in what we do. 
as I introduced myself, as Dan introduced me, how did I introduce? Like, I'm a counselor, I'm an engineer, I'm a pastor. It's easy for us to talk that way, right? But what's the problem with identifying ourselves by what we do? What happens when you do something wrong? What happens when you fail? That becomes your identity. I can tell you, very first-hand experience, how that feels. To be a pastor that's been divorced, to be a failure. But I want to tell you this morning, that is not my identity. Amen? That's an amen statement. Your mistakes, your failures are not your identity. Where does our identity come from? Our identity comes from Christ. And God, we read earlier, has given us the task of reconciliation. That is reconciliation with one another. That is reconciliation with the church. Ultimately, that is reconciliation with God. That is why we are here together, to love one another. You guys do such a good job of that already, but there's always room for us to improve. Last thing. God has not given up on, and I want you to make this personal, because I could fill in this blank for you, but I don't know your story. I want you to put whatever it is, whatever situation you've been thinking about, I want you to write in that blank. Maybe it's your name. God has not given up on Aaron. Maybe it's your marriage. God has not given up on my marriage. Maybe it's a particular situation that you've been struggling with. God is still God. He hasn't given up on that. Maybe your marriage has already ended and you find yourself in a situation much like I was. God still doesn't give up on you. You know, I thought there was a time that I would never stand up here and preach again. Not just here, but anywhere. A lot of churches won't let you. As I was going through that process, I resigned from the church that I was at, and that was the right decision because there needed to be some time of healing. I was in no condition to, to lead a church, and so that was the right decision to make. But that doesn't mean that God has given up on you. It doesn't mean that the ministry that he's given you, that he's given up on. So whatever that is, I want you to, to fill that in yourself. Think about the different stories that we have in Scripture, and I promise I'm getting close. Think about David, we use a lot, and all of David's flaws and mistakes. But God used him over and over to accomplish his purpose. Think about Noah. The, the story of Noah is a story that God offered redemption to all. Noah offered everybody a place on the ark. Just not many took it. Think about Ruth and Boaz. We see Boaz described as her kinsman redeemer. This widow woman that was alienated and lost and, and removed from her homeland. That Boaz came and redeemed her. Think about the story of the lost sheep where you leave the 99 and you go after the one. 
thank God that I'm the one. That he cared enough for me to redeem me. Think about Hosea and Gomer. How Hosea went time after time. As Gomer would go back into prostitution, Hosea would go and redeem her. Finally, I want us to read together in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1 through 6. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me and I found the potter working at his will. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message. O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. Now think about that just for a minute. Picture that piece of pottery. You guys ever try to make pottery with clay? It ain't as easy as those people that know how to do it make it look. I remember like VBS as a kid. You come home with like, you know, some figurine or something you made and it's, your parents are like, oh, this is wonderful. That's the picture that we have here. This thing that doesn't look right. It has too many blemishes or too many mistakes. What does the potter do? How did that feel if you were the clay in that moment? That crushing and wadding back up into a ball. Not good, right? But then what came next? Redemption. Redeeming. Molding. This piece of clay is not done. Wherever you are this morning, that's the message that I want to leave you with. I don't know where your struggles are. I don't know if your relationship is going great. I don't know if it's going terrible. If you're single, I don't know what's going on in your life. Your life may be great or there may be difficulties. I just want to encourage you. Reach out to those that are next to you. We're going to have a song of response. And whatever that response is, I encourage you to be obedient to how the Lord is is speaking to you. It may be that you reach out to your spouse. And maybe you guys just pray together exactly where you are. It may be that there's somebody in the room that God's laid on your heart. And you know something they're going through. Go pray with them. We gave each other permission at the beginning to be broken. So let's be broken together.